At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. What's better than a cup of coffee? Not much, but maybe, just maybe, a coffee company that donates a portion of its proceeds back to support conservation. And that's exactly what Skull Brew Coffee Company does. We roast premium coffee that ships out within just hours of roasting, guaranteeing that you get the freshest coffee available. The kicker, we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. You can check us out at skullbrewcoffee.com. And now through March 8th, use the promo code TRUTH and get 15% off your purchase. So the end of this week, this promo will run out. So let's do something good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 110. Today we're wrapping up this installment of the DIY Report and we are covering public land trail camera strategies for rut and late season. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well out there. Hope you're getting a chance to get out and do a little shed hunting. Uh, shed rally is just around the corner here. I'll probably have to skip this weekend as I do have some some plans, some family plans, uh, a weekend with uh, no children or no child at the house. So the wife and I are going to have a weekend alone to kind of hang out, do some do some sightseeing. I think we're actually going to go do some some axe throwing this weekend is what what's on the docket. Um, that is uh, as long as I uh, am, am feeling up to it. I was doing a little traveling this weekend to the Midwest. I spent some time with Johnny Utah out in, out in Iowa. We have a podcast coming up that we'll talk about kind of our excursions while I was out there, a uh, little scouting, little shed hunting. Uh, the snow had different plans for us though, but during my travels, I managed to pick up whatever 
flu kind of illness that's been going around, you know, and I'm sure being in the airport and in planes didn't help me a whole lot. So I'm feeling a little worse for wear here. So with that, we're going to keep this up front pretty short. And, uh, as I may have a coughing fit, if I go on too long and we'll just kind of jump to the meat of, to the meat of this thing. But before we jump into today's episode, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners from Exodus Outdoor Gear. If you like Exodus trail cameras, then who wouldn't? Scouting and on and or Onyx Maps, then you'll want to take advantage of the Exodus promotion going on now through the end of March. Now through the end of March, you will get a free Onyx premium membership with every Exodus trail camera purchased from ExodusOutdoorGear.com. This, of course, is while supplies last, and these are going pretty quickly, as you can imagine, so you may want to jump on this sooner rather than later. You can also pre-order the Render Cell Camera, which is new and will be coming out, I believe it will be shipping in April. Or you can add another Trek camera to your scouting arsenal and lock in to the $30 value-free gift from Onyx. Visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com and add the Onyx membership card and any camera and receive these automatic savings. I don't think there's a better one-two punch for spring scouting than a killer camera and killer maps. Take advantage of this offer today by visiting exodusoutdoorgear.com. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You are listening to part three of the Public Land Camera Strategies DIY report. And again, as always, joined by my good buddies, Chad and Jake from Exodus Trail Cameras. What's going on, fellas? Not much, man. Just Hanging out here at the Great American Outdoor Show. Still at the Outdoor Show. (laughs) It's a great show. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we'll just jump right in, man. I know the first first two parts we covered, you know, qualifying a parcel and kind of figuring out what pieces we want to hunt and and, and identifying, you know, if there are deer that we want to chase. Part two, we really kind of looked at the early season, changing food sources, how you want to start leapfrogging and and getting on a deer. If you find something you want want to hunt, how do you try to narrowed down his core area essentially and then talked about some scrapes and like different types of you know terrain features we're going to want to focus on during that time of the year and so today what we're going to talk about during this episode part three is we're really going to talk about the rut you know everyone looks for it's super bowl weekend here as we're recording this so it's the rut is the super bowl of deer hunting for for many and then we're also going to talk a little bit about late season how we're using our cameras uh you know on public land and we're also going to still juxtapose you know have a juxtaposition to how that might be different or the same when we're talking about uh talking about private land so to get started, you know, during this time of year, let's start with rut first. You know, mm-hmm. you know, or when you're, you know, where are you moving cameras to during during the rut time of time of uh, the hunting season? So most of my uh, attention is going to doe bedding and scrape areas, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to build 365 data. So I'll put those cameras there, and a lot of times I won't check them if I have spare cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to gather a baseline of data revolving around the rut to use as historical data for the following season. Because mm-hmm. what we've seen with running so many dang cameras uh, on public, there's a 365-day pattern where those deer will be back within, if they're alive, and it's all eerie. outside influences are the same. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll be back within a three-day window, year to year to year. Yeah. And it's a lot of people think that's crazy, but we've seen it so much. It's, it's eye-opening. Well, it's like so, the proof was in the pudding again this year when we were in Ohio. For three years now... The area that I've hunted, whether the first year I was there, Tate was there the last year, then the, this this year mm-hmm. I was there, we've seen the same thing happen within like that same week week period of time, yeah. right? Just the trail camera data that we have, I think, is a good example. It's like we had, I think the those two shooters showed up once in Velvet, right? At like the August, sometime like late August, mm-hmm. right? Never showed up again, and that camera was soaking since we were there in what 
April or March? Yeah, April or March, yeah. Yeah, and so that camera was there the entire time. One picture of two different shooter bucks on that camera. Mm -hmm. Never saw them again. And then all of a sudden, it was October 31st, I think, like Halloween. And like the November 1st and 2nd, they were showing back up, mm -hmm. right? Which was like just exactly in line with what we had seen what we'd seen previously, but I didn't mean to cut you off. I just thought, you know, we had some real yeah. life example there that we actually yeah. had this year. Well, the, the deer I killed this year was down to the day. Down to the day, really? Yeah, he, I had a, in 2017, I had him come through in the middle of the night on November 1st. This year I had him come down through the same ditch November 1st mm -hmm. and kill him like November 3rd. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, that's down to the day. And then another uh, kind of applicable uh, scenario was I was on another piece of, Another piece of property, November 7th last year, I hunted it. And um, three and a half year old, like kind of pencil, real wide, eight pointer, comes by, like limping along, like rutting hard. This year, two hours before, I was in the stand, I physically saw that. This year, I had pulled the camera, and it was two hours before. Hmm. Uh, so it was like 1.30 in the afternoon, same exact field edge, same day, two hours before, and he was rutting, just coming down the same field edge. And that was the only time <laughs> last year I saw him, and this is the only time I got a picture of him this year. So, right. whatever reason, I mean, you can capitalize if you're running those cameras. It's that's yeah. You got to look at it as a and holistic approach. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thought Multi process, year. the thought process there is, so you can't be everywhere at once. Like yep. the rut, you need to be in the woods. You need to be doing your thing. Yes, but if there's points of interest you have that you're unsure of, go set those cameras up. Let them run. Let them run for the entire month. Um, and I do that quite often to mm -hmm. kind of classify properties um, that get hot in different times for the following year. But for like in-season data, the best thing is run a, a cellular camera if it's possible. You're getting real-time data right. where you may catch that deer on a scrape that's coming in. He might hole up in that area for three days, but you get the first photo of him, and you know you have yeah. a, a small window to you know come in and uh, make a move to you know have a harvest opportunity. So, if you're running cell cameras, that's a that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like right, monitoring those scrapes when those scrapes are drying up. One of the things that we see on public is. Once those scrapes start to dry up, you better be shifting your attention to those bedding areas because those those mm -hmm. bucks are probably cruising those bedding areas, trying to get that doe, you know, trying to get it on lockdown, you know, whatnot. So, you know, right. people are always paying attention to when those deer are coming in, working those scrapes. But when they're dead, they're like, oh, I'm when they're the dead, scrapes dried up. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, they're dried up. That means you need to be doing this. Yeah. Right. Like, it, it, get it, your attention to the bedding. It's interesting because I think a lot of folks make the, make the mistake of like trying to find the next hot scrapes. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. Versus trying to find the, the dough bedding area where the bucks are going to go right. try to jam. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And just, well, re just real quick, um, you know, we talk a lot about human intrusion and not negatively impacting, um, deer movement by checking your cameras too often. Like me personally in the rut, like deer do stupid things. Like their yeah. guards down. I've seen big deer do, dumb stuff i'm checking right. those cameras as often as i need to right like if if that's my point of interest if i know there's a big deer in the area that i'm trying to kill like it doesn't matter i'm going to check those cameras whenever i need to to you know devise a plan right yeah and when i'm running cameras on scrapes i'll leave them on there like i don't care if it's going to be dead for five six seven eight days when that doe comes in and hits that scrape and then there's a big buck the next day like so when i have that render on on a scrape and i get a doe coming in november 8th november 9th right I'm going to be there the next day because there's a pretty good chance the dominant buck's going to come in there. And I saw that, you know, multiple times, that really big one that got shot. He came in, doe hit it November, you know, 9th or, you know, I was in there. Right. The 10th he came and hit the scrape, and then he was in those doe bedding areas yeah. cruising through, you know, that, that week of, you know, November. So That's right. a super valid point. You know, when those scrapes start to dry up, leave your cameras there. Like we talk about, you know, asking yourself why, you know, why, you're, why aren't you getting those 
those pitchers. And that's a scenario where you want to leave those cameras mm -hmm. there to monitor when that scrape's going to be active again. And, right. Yeah, because so yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of folks, you know, and I, I think I might have even written an article about this, is like using your trail camera data, like, yes, you want to be paying attention to it in season because it can help you make some moves, right? But you're really only going to help you make moves on deer that you know about mm -hmm. from previous yeah. years a lot of times. Oh, or, right, or, or when a deer, when, when you're deer on that property are going to use certain terrain features or certain parts right. of a property or whatever right. it can it can do that as well right but you should really be looking back at like your previous information right because that's really what's going to help you actually hunt that year yeah right because it's really hard to make a plan real time and you should of course like this is also like we're not saying that cameras are the only way to like approach your hunting it's like right. you still have to be looking at hot sign and paying yes. attention to all those things right so it's not yes. like it's the only thing like we mentioned in the first uh, the first, you know, part number one, it's like this is a tool to help to help you. Right. It's not the thing that's going to get you to the end goal necessarily because you still right. have to put all the other pieces together. Okay. This is just a piece that is, it helps you put a lot of pieces together if you use it the right yes. way and if you're moving it the right way. You know yes. what I mean? So yeah. I'm curious, you know, because especially during the rudder, regardless of the time of year, you know, are you, I just want to get both of your take, like how close are you willing to set your cameras up to where you plan to hunt? Because some guys, you know, if you talk to a guy like a Steve Bartilla or something like that that I've talked to, it's like he doesn't want to really hunt near his cameras per se, right? He's He'll hunt within reason of them, mm -hmm. but he's not hunting, like, near them necessarily. And he'll oftentimes use them as negative pressure for them to move them to another... To funnel deer in a certain direction. Yeah. Right, right, which is a really interesting kind of concept, right? But, yeah. you know, so I'm just curious because some guys will never hang a camera where they plan to hunt. And then I'll just say for me personally, it's like I have no problems doing that. Like I'll hang – I'm not going to sit on top of the camera, but it's like I have no problem with the camera being 20, 30 yards away from me. You know what I mean? And knowing that right. I'm getting deer there. So I'm just curious what you're kind of – Well, I don't think that there's a, a shoebox. Everyone's looking for a shoebox, one-size-fits-all answer, and I don't, I don't think it's there. With every camera, I think you have to ask yourself, how am I accessing this camera? Is it going to negatively impact deer movement? Right. And if the answer is yes, change it. You need to change how you're <laughs> right. accessing it. Or simply don't check that camera as yeah. often. Yep. So Or hang a cell camera there. Or hang a cell yeah. camera. Exactly. So there's there's cameras where I have I'll hang on the on the tree next to where I'm set up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, or or the, I know there's a camera there that I can access to to hunt, to hang a you know, hang mm -hmm. and bang. I'll get in that tree and no no problems. But there's other cameras that I have that I won't go in because I know I can't access yeah. it the right way. Because it's going to, you know, it's going to negatively impact your movement. I'm not going to have an opportunity there. Right. I'm just hurting myself. Right. So, ask yourself. Right. I do both. The last two deer I killed, I got on, like, the deer yeah. I shot this year, I got on video. He came in, worked scrape, and you can hear me, bat, you know, shoot him in the video. Nice. <laughs> the year before that, I uh, shot a seven and a half year old buck. It was peak rut, but um, went in there first time, hunt, first sit, hunted it, and I got him on picture, like as I was shooting him. And he's a big deer too, so nice. I don't have an issue hanging those cameras where I'm hunting because during the rut when I'm going in and I'm checking in, I'm trying to hunt stands, I right. can switch cards while I'm in there. Right. But I'm obviously I have cameras that I, I let soak as well. But and my big thing is, it's nice to know like was that deer killable on you know 11th or 12th, and I don't know this most recent information is huge at that time of year. Well, you know we're talking about the rut in late season. I, right. I think that's pretty important. Yeah. Now, early season might be a little bit different story. Right. Is it well I think it's I think it's fair also to point out too. It's like and I know, you know, with the hunting hunting with Chad, I know Jake you and I've hunted together. I assume you probably follow a similar kind of pattern, but in public it's like I'm hanging my cameras high. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really too worried about deer actually seeing yeah. my cameras or getting right. impacted by my cameras because they're going to be eight at a minimum 8 feet off the ground, mm -hmm. right? 
And so I'm not worried about them getting camera shy or whatever the right. case might be. So the only intrusion I'm really going to have or the only negative impact is actually going to be me checking them. Right. And a lot of times for me, it's out of state public, you know, in a lot of cases. So it's like I'm putting it in March and I'm going back to look at it in November. Right. right? So it's like a first time in essentially right. at that point. Local ones, I do check a little bit more often, but even still, I'm going maybe every once a month, mm-hmm. walking in, checking mm-hmm. the camera. Mm-hmm. Getting out, and then when I go in, I basically go in like full hunting setup, like descented the whole the whole nine. I'm trying to be as low impact right. as I possibly can. Well, there's a, I think there's a whole strategy there about checking ch- checking cameras on weather days um, that we've talked oh, a little yeah. bit about for sure. Um, if you have the opportunity, if it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, and it's raining outside, like that's get the, your butt off the couch, turn the football game off, and go check your cameras. Like yeah. you could check even if you have bad access, it's a camera that you know you don't want to be that intrusive. You know, go by going in and check it. If it's raining, go check it. If it's a high wind day where deer are going to be bedded down, holding tight, mm-hmm. go check your cameras. Like, there's a lot of right. things there. Like, people just they get into a habit of, well, every two weeks or every right. three weeks, I'm just yeah. going to go. I'm going to go check my created equal to check your camera. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we understand that some some folks out there, it's like you know, work schedule and stuff will dictate yes. when you can go out there. And yeah. So 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 we get so we get that. I think what we're saying is is like when you have the opportunity to check right yeah. on a day that's going to be most beneficial to you. Make sure you're taking advantage of it. Or yeah, a real I mean? windy, nasty day. I love to go in and hang a set. Like if I'm gonna hunt, yep. if I know I'm gonna hunt there two days later, I'll go in when it's windy as heck yeah. and hang that set. Right. right. Saw my shooting lanes. Yep. No, with, with the your, wicked handsaw. With the wicked handsaw. <laughs> yep. <laughs> gotta get you. Gotta get you in a saddle, Jake. I have one. Oh, there yeah. you go. There you go. Uh, it's a lot well, we got it. We got to the end of the season. I haven't. I haven't oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 We gotta. We gotta get you on that. That way you're tethered. Not, train. That way yeah. you're not having to. Do your setups, you know, there's well, like, it's all hanging, there, yeah. hanging hunts, you know what yeah. I mean? So you're not, it's even lower impact. It'll, it'll have its place. I'll use it. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk a little bit. I want to talk about, are you, are you a little more worried about, um, I guess, camera placement close to where you're going to set up during late season, given that there's been, so my mindset is, is like, when I look at it, I'm like, man, the deer have had a whole year of, a whole season of right. pressure, right? Mm-hmm. People checking cameras, people hunting them, Yeah. you know turkey hunting gun hunting's been in like it's just there's been a ton of people in the woods and so that time of the year i do like me personally i do try to set up off where i might have cameras placed because if i especially if i have hunted Mm -hmm. in and around those areas during the other parts of the season i'm just looking to try to remove as much pressure as possible as 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 possible so i don't know if you guys have like a similar similar approach that time of year i mean i'm i'm in a different boat because i'm i can plant food plots right Uh, we don't hold the deer so I can put the cameras right on the food plot. They're not bedded nearby, so right. they're making a pretty big, pretty big commute to get to the food. So I can go check the cameras in the middle of the day and see what fed there that night. Right. Um, fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, are, you, are you setting up on those food sources or are you setting up on travel to food? The cameras? Uh, as far or as hunting too. Uh, hunting, I'd try to. Hunting, I would try to chop, chop them off. Like yeah. they, With this right. wicked cold weather, they were there early enough where I was, I right. was in a position to yeah. maybe mm-hmm. make a move. But... Um, in some other areas, it's the travel. 
if you don't have the food and you know where they're going to go feed, find where they're traveling mm-hmm. to get there and set up there and try to intercept them. And I had, right. I had pretty yeah. good luck with that. And it kind of well. goes back to what we were talking about before. You're just kind of working almost in reverse as you did early well, in the season yeah. as far as leapfrogging, right? Because like, instead of leapfrogging back to bed with them, right? You're kind of doing the same thing, but you're leapfrogging from like, okay, we know they're showing up 30 minutes after dark in the food this time of year because it's late season. Mm-hmm. So let's leapfrog back an hour, their trail, back to like whatever the most dominant pinch point's going to be that we're yeah. pro- that they're probably going to use, and let's go back that direction, yeah. right? So it's a little bit almost the reverse of what we would do in early season. I've never had a ton of you know hunting success late season. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of daylight pictures of bucks, mm-hmm. um, and, air, and you know, in spots I you know hindsight should have hunted, but. My camera strategy late season is food, food, food. Mm-hmm. Only looking, and I'm I'm gathering all the all the data, but specifically looking at those very harsh weather days, like double digit temp drops, mm-hmm. um, you know, big decline in wind speed days, mm-hmm. on food sources, and then if I'm getting photos within an hour mm-hmm. of shooting light, then if right. I see if I can see in the weather forecast, hey, this is going to happen again, you know, then that's when I'm making my move. But I'm hunting travel from bedding to food i'm typically not hunting on food sources because what i see in those isolated areas those does will show up and i don't want to be sitting in a stand for a half hour with 15 deer underneath me because at some point i'm gonna get busted yeah right it's interesting i was talking to this might be i don't know if you ever heard this i was talking to don higgins and um as you know like he he loves late season Mm -hmm. and, and he loves um that especially during the rut he likes that post um Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving kind of time, yeah. time frame. Even though he killed two 200 inches in October, he still loves. <laughs> he kills big deer no matter what. Yeah, time it doesn't of year. matter. What, yeah, he, he could do it in June if he wanted to, probably. Um, but we were talking about late season specifically because he's he loves the late season. He loves the gnarly weather. And so one thing that I learned from him was that he's like, late season, everyone gets all ate up on food. He's like, and rightly so. He's like, because they have to get re, re- nour- you know, nourishment back in them and the season, that season's harsh and they've been run down from the season and stuff like that. He said, but it's not as much of a. As, pro- as a priority as people want to want to think that it is he's like and he started talking about the biology of deer because he had he's had a deer farm for 30 years or whatever it was and he said the research that they did like deer actually i think we recognize this during the regular season or during early season in rut and stuff like that like deer's body actually changed to where they start needing to intake less and less food as the fall kind of wears on so as you hit like mid-october their need to take food in kind of like nosedives, which also plays into the idea of like the October lull a little bit, yeah. right? Of course, acorns and stuff like that in the timber become prevalent, and that's where you kind of want to focus. But right. their need to go eat becomes even less and less. So he was saying even during late season, he's like, even though food is like what you want to kind of focus on, he was like, it's not equal. Yeah. He's like, they're only going to really move to food sources because at that point, their body is at the peak of not of not requiring food like their biology says i don't need food he's like unless you get that like minus five degrees a little bit of rain where it's like they just have to get up and go eat he's like you'll see most days in a field you'll see an average number of deer he's like you look at those super harsh weather days he's like all the big bucks are out there you know what i mean and that was really interesting to me because i always kind of thought oh it's late season food's money almost any day right but it's just based on their biology it's just not the case that's a that's a good point something i just started reading about the the biology of that deer actually changing, like their body temperature starts to decrease. Yep. Like they start to conserve wow. energy because they have less caloric intake. Yep. Um, you know, to your point. But aside of that, like again, another strategy that this year I started doing late season is looking at that super high value thermal cover mm-hmm. yeah. in, in in areas. Um, you know, in hill country as you start to look at those southeast facing slopes and looking at, you know, some of those bedding 
bedding opportunities yeah. as well. So let's move to uh, patterning deer during the rut, which is always a uh, always. We just had an overhead overhead <laughs> announcement. I think everything's safe. We're secure. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. <laughs> Ten minutes. So uh, you know, patterning deer is always an interesting topic. Like whenever it comes to rut, right? So because when you think when people talk about patterning, I feel like they think of it from the perspective of like you would pattern it here during early season, right? Like mm-hmm. during the early to mid season, right? Like, cause before, once they hit rut, it's like crazy. So all those big buck killers, it's like they try to get, if they're patterning a deer, <laughs> they try to get it done in October, right? right? Before they hit, even before they hit pre-rut really. But I think there's this idea of like micro patterns that you can use during, during the rut, right? And I think we started touching on them a little bit when we start looking at doe bedding and like when, when those areas are going to come in. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you're using trail cameras to start to figure out some of those micro patterns around the rut time? Yeah. Um, you know, some of that stuff goes back to, I think, historical trail camera data. What we see, what I personally see with, you know, running so many cameras is those deer holding up in certain areas, mm-hmm. like in a three-day window, mm-hmm. where that is consistent year over year over year. And it's all related to doe bedding when, you know, when that doe family group is coming to heat. And I, Steve Bartilla is a big, yeah. a big, uh, a big advocate of you know the healthiest does are going to you know come into estrus first and you can yep. kind of almost pattern you know your property you know your red strategy based on you know mm-hmm. doe family groups and, and how they're coming in estrus so i think to me like a micro micro patterning inside the rut on a specific deer you know is part partly historical um multiple years of trail camera data could be scrapes could be doe bedding could be travel between bedding mm-hmm. um but it all does come back to all does come back to doe bedding and within 72 i call it 72 hours right jake are you seeing the same type of thing on on, on yeah private? I, I would agree with the with most most of what you said as far as i'm still at the annual data i haven't i haven't done a really good job of kind of my micro pattering during the season right uh, that could be a shortcoming of my own but well, um it, well you kill big deer so i think you're doing all right i live in illinois no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, like inside um you know inside late october all the way through november called you know into the post throughout thanksgiving time frame like that's where cell cameras um mm-hmm. you know finding those micro pattern mm-hmm. patterns in real time like that's the data from a cell camera that can mm-hmm. change your season in, in it. right you know, yeah. one yeah. picture can change your season yeah. well i will say this though when it's november it's the rut i'm looking at my my iPhoto stream, and I'm going back 365 days before. Where do I want to be? Right. And I, I don't. I still organize them on my lap or my big, my big computer at home. But right. when I'm on the road and I'm running around, I go through that, and that's kind of my process. Which, right. I mean, it's kind of barbaric, but it no, works. I mean, it works. I mean, you're really just looking for what are the key dates. You yeah. Know what I mean, and that's really what you're trying to do in, in micro patterning, right? I think the one thing you mentioned, like with, with Steve, with the idea of like the the healthiest does are going to be the ones who are most consistent with their estrus. The other part that kind of was a game changer for me. And I actually taught this to Don Higgins, and I like literally wanted to end the podcast right there because I was like, I just, I just shared something with Don that he didn't know before. I think I can, I can, I, I've now, I've now arrived, yeah. you know, which was, you know, and I learned this. It wasn't like I came up with it on my own. It was a conversation I did a DIY report with Bronson Strickland, you know, about deer movement, like you know, months ago, uh, right before rut. And the one thing I learned from him was that the doe will actually pass her her estrus cycle to her doe fawns. So doe families are they usually don't leave an area, right? They all stay together. The, the mom, the grandma, the daughter, the daughter's daughter, like they all kind of live in one spot. And so long as that those does are not killed, right, and there's not maybe a new doe introduced or whatever, their cycle will, will stay intact. So if you can locate the doe, right, or the doe family, right, and you can figure out like they come in, in this within this window, that group is going to come in within that window every year. 
You know, so That's now you can point, start yeah. to pattern bucks around when that doe family is supposed to come in. You know, so yeah. when people like I've started looking at trail camera data differently where it's like before I was like, oh, big buck, big buck. This is awesome. And now I'm more going, great. I'm seeing some does. There's a doe family here. Now this year, let me watch and figure out when mm-hmm. bucks start showing up. When bucks start showing up, I know that they're coming in. And now I can start to figure out how I want to hunt it. To that point, um, you know, I've been uh, I've been really bad about this spot. Just, you know, going through and deleting photos with those. But. If you could pay attention to how those does are interacting, you know, whenever their tails are down, when they're pushing their yearlings or fawns away. That's a good point. Like, yeah. that is those stuff. Key. That is super, super key in, inside the rut. Like, that stuff, yep. that stuff is really what you want to be looking yeah. at for those micro patterns because you know, like, okay, it's about to happen. Yeah. And to validate to that, I grew up on a, a very small deer farm as well. And right. The 10th, November 10th and 11th, whatever reason, those are when our does are in peak estrus. You can, nice. this the way they act, the way... You know, clinically, I can't say a thousand percent sure they are peak estrus, but based on behavior and how everything year Played over year, out. I grew up like ever since I can remember, we've had deer. <laughs> so, right. Like I got right every tenth or eleventh, things are just chaotic in our deer. <laughs> right. The one thing too that I'm picking up, I think people should pick up on, and like, and it's when it's possible for you is that we've talked a lot about having trail cameras out 365, mm-hmm. right? Making sure that you're got something in the timber all the time, so you're kind of getting as much info as you, as you possibly can, but. We're getting ready to open up here at the at the outdoor show, so we'll close it here. And just want to know, late season, and quickly, what are we looking for in our images during late season? Like, how, how are we looking at those images? Um, similar, I still like to run them on video at that time to see what, how quick are they coming in the food source, where they're coming in the food source, um, and correlating that with weather. That's Those are kind of the big three for me. Right. Yeah, same, same, same for me. Uh, looking at, I'm running less video at that time, more photos, but looking at, the time of the actual image and direction of their travel again right. if there's if they're showing up consistently to that food source within an hour then i'm forecast looking at the weather forecast looking for those extreme weather days right and then trying to you know cut them off and for me the food. right and for me a lot of time i'm looking at just to learn who probably is going to be around for the next year yep. I, well, that's, that's yeah that's when i'll start my inventory for the, for the, for for the upcoming year exactly because yeah. now i'm going this guy lives here in late season there's probably a good chance he's going to live here during the summer mm-hmm. he may disperse i don't know but you can start to kind of backtrack a little bit did i see him in mid-season is he a homebody i see it a lot. It, you know so you start to try to paint your picture for the following years yeah. when that kind of starts so yeah. all right f- buddies i'm uh i appreciate you guys coming on and doing this it was a good chat before we yeah. let you go though where can people find out more about you what do you have going on in the upcoming future that people should know about yeah thanks for having us on we really enjoyed this you can find us on exodus trail cameras pretty much anywhere mm-hmm. um and depending on when this comes out we're gonna have the render either pre-selling or shipping so yeah. we've been working on that for a long time yeah. and uh, and the render is the cell camera that's coming yep, out. It's yep, it's 4G Verizon LTE uh, camera. So we're really excited about that. And we also have a, a trail camera podcast if you want to kind of geek out on the hardware and mm-hmm. some of these you know, this, these types of conversations, trail cam radio. So uh, we'd be happy to have you over there. Yeah, awesome. So as you guys know, these are my buddies from Exodus. Love these guys. Uh, hunt with these guys. Check them out. Check out trail camera radio. Make sure you check out the render when it comes out. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show, and that is a wrap for this round of the DIY Report. I'd like to thank Chad and Jake for joining for the past three episodes. Be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com and follow Exodus on Instagram and Facebook. Of course, I'd like to thank all of you for listening, and if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. 
And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. gang the new truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on youtube below any of the truth from the stand videos i've got some new hats beanies t-shirts long sleeve t-shirts and sweatshirts there's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity so head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code truth t-r-u-t-h and save yourself some cash on the new gear